want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, yes. 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of implied, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined as ever by Sean Coletti. Sean, how's it going? It's a sports frenzy right now, I'll say. Yeah, it's funny because like half my Twitter feed is obsessed with the World Cup and half my Twitter feed really doesn't care. <laughs> it's also, yeah, the basketball and hockey just ended. So congratulations to the home team, Los Angeles Kings, and to the San Antonio Spurs for winning their fifth title. Bye, you... <laughs> I am required to be a Blackhawks fan. My family are Blackhawks fans, more specifically, so so I cannot cheer on the Kings. But you know, it was a fun it was a fun series, as, yeah. as I understand it. But uh, anyways, uh, yeah, America did just win our first game in the World Cup. Go, <laughs> USA. It'll likely. I'm sorry, but it'll likely be the only one that they win. Hey, you know what? Better than zero. I'll take it. Yeah. Better than zero. Um, but there is, uh, all, at the same time, a lot of TV going on. Um, as much as it would be hard to tell based on Twitter right now or Facebook. Uh, we have a bunch of shows that we'll be previewing this week. Um, and as well, there's a lot of new stuff starting in the next week or two uh, on TV. But we also had a lot of fun talking to you guys about stuff. There was an uptick, at least for me, in, in conversation this week. We got heard from Augustine, who says, For Cartoon June, Sean, the spectacular Spider-Man is a definite must-watch, in my opinion. It's the best animated series featuring the webhead, no joke. Have you seen any spectacular Spider-Man? No, but coincidentally, my brother just came home with the, the Blu-ray, so it's in the house. Nice. Well, you have to let us know. Uh, Carl enjoyed our review of The Good Family, um, which he said was appropriately, uh, like, he said it was Fargo style, uh, which is, you know, fun. I guess shocking. Um, talk some classical music with Noel. James tracked down Bunheads in Australia and says it's bloody fantastic. So I'm glad that he that he checked it out, James. It's I know sometimes these shows are hard to find depending on your where where you're living, but um, yeah, that's the show. And of course, this week we'll be talking Gilmore Girls with Whitney McClintock from My TV Sang to Me, and you know, obviously a little Amy Sherman Palladino connection there. Yeah, just very quickly. Of all of the things that we've talked about on the DVD shelf since I've come onto this podcast, please, please, if you have not given Gilmore Girls a chance, watch it, because it is without a doubt one of the finest and most underrated TV series ever. A passionate plea from, from Sean. Now, what are your thoughts on Bunheads? Bunheads? Oh, great, great first season and unfortunately canceled way too early. Uh, I know that everybody was up in arms about that, and appropriately so. Um, but no, Palandino obviously is a fantastic storyteller. So any endorsement from Bunheads is a good endorsement. Yep. And uh, we'll be talking Bunheads. We I should say I don't want to jinx it. We may be talking Bunheads a bit more in the ne- in the coming weeks. But uh, we also heard from Mario about VP. He thinks that Chung will win uh, the primaries and then ask Selena to be his VP. What do you think? Anything can happen on Veep, I guess. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I also don't necessarily think that that's the logical step but 
logic be damned as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I didn't expect her to become president, so <laughs> it's hard to guess what they're going to do over there. Kyle and I talked a little bit about actors we're familiar with using different accents uh, than we are used to. <laughs> with uh, In regards to Dominion, I'll have a re- review or preview of Dominion a little later in the podcast. There was a battle of the breakfast foods on Twitter this week with Noel and Whitney. Crepes versus waffles versus pancakes versus French toast. There is a correct answer to this. What is your answer? Well, apparently not the correct one, but mine's definitely French toast. French to- oh, You are wrong, sir. <laughs> you are clearly Pan- wrong. Pancakes are way too filling. I can have, like, one. That's because you've not, clearly you've not had good pancakes. If you think pancakes are filling, you can only have one. Pancakes should be light and fluffy and, like, that big. They're small. I think maybe I'll need to get divorced, and then I can eat, like, 30 pancakes. <laughs> French toast is clearly the, the, the least of these. Uh, I, if I wanted oh! soggy bread, I would I would eat soggy. I don't want soggy bread, though. Uh, pancakes and waffles are both beautiful and delightful, and y'all are eating the wrong kind of pancakes. Diner pancakes are not pancakes. Pancakes are light and fluffy. They have stiff peak egg whites that have been folded into the batter. It's a magic of chemistry, and... <laughs> It's a beautiful thing. Y'all are wrong. Okay. I, I love breakfast and breakfast foods, and I'll, I'll take egg dishes. So if you want to talk egg dishes, we could do that on Twitter this week. Okay, that'll be that'll be our Twitter topic of conversation. Let us know your thoughts. There is again, there there is less of a correct answer for me on this one. The least correct answer food that I can think of is is which t- type of potato is best because they're all delicious, but. But yes, this week, let's talk eggs. Okay, we talked uh, <laughs> Adventure Time a little bit with Zach and Noel. Uh, I asked who's looking forward to Rectify and heard back from a lot of you guys. So I'm glad. I'm glad you're looking forward to this new season. I'll be talking about that a little later in the show as well. I asked what the highlights of the year so far have been for people. And I still want to hear about this. So so drop drop me a line on Twitter if uh, if I haven't mentioned your, your favorite. But it was a lot of shows we've already talked about on the Televerse. But there are two new ones. Ping Pong and Kill the Kill, which we heard about from uh, Noel and Isandra, and then Emma also recommended The Kroll Show. Have you seen any of these? I've seen Kroll Show. I watched the first season, and I did not like, but uh, I heard that the second season was a bit better. I don't know if that's going to convince me to watch those episodes, but no, the other two I've not even heard of. Now, I'm wondering if these might be anime or cartoons, because I know Noel's more on top of that stuff than I am. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I've never even heard of it, but we've got gotten glowing re- recommendations uh, on yeah, on Ping Pong especially, or one of them is more avant-garde than the other. But, um, but yeah, I, I've, I've not seen any Kroll show. I've been meaning to check it out since I've heard, yeah, like you said, more buzz about it. But I, I didn't even see the, the first season, so that might be something I try to make time for before we get too far out of the summer and I run out of time again. Um, but, yeah, so let us know. We, we're, we're starting to think about, you know, where – that we're at the half point of the year, so what is the, you know, what's the status of the year so far in TV? One thing I will add to the list, which I just watched or caught up with uh, this past week with two of my friends, was the live-action Street Fighter Assassin's Fist, which I think was a web series, and then they released it like as a full-length film that's like two and a half hours. And for anybody who grew up playing Street Fighter. They got this down perfectly in terms of like choreography and everything. It's terribly acted, and the story <laughs> is kind of bogus, but it's a lot of fun if you're a Street Fighter fan. Interesting. 
Uh, th- as you mentioned, we we're talking Gilmore Girls this week, and we talked Gilmore Girls with Shan, Carolyn, Wine and Pop, Black Donnie, Carrie, Eric, Sasha, Whitney, Catherine, a lot of people. Uh, there was some there was some shipping wars happening that was kind of fun, and we'll talk about that with uh, with Whitney when we get there. I talked Blackadder with Les and Brian, and Star Wars with Levi and Dan. Uh, any Twitter interactions you wanted to mention? That covers most of them, I think. Yep, it was a, it was a lot of fun talk this week with you guys. And again, egg dishes, speak up or forever hold your peace. Now we'll take a break. It's a full week of TV, and uh, so we'll come back with our week in comedy and our week in reality. This week in comedy, I'm going to preview Almost Royal, the new BBC American comedy, and then we'll talk some So You Think You Can Dance as our reality segment, and then go into Adventure Time, Food Chain, and Enlisted Army Men before finishing up with the Louis finale, Pamela Part 2 and Pamela Part 3. So first up, I wanted to just preview Almost Royal quickly. This is the first original comedy from BBC America, and it's very much in the vein of like a Borat. It's it's centered around two British siblings, members of the peerage who are fiftieth and fifty first in line to be to be king or something or queen. But uh they decide after their, their father dies, they uh, are sent to take a tour of America and it it's a st- it's a um them interacting with real people kind of thing. So it's a, like a character kind of sketch humor based thing and again the best thing i can compare it to is something like borat um i i didn't actually laugh watching this you know the performances from the leads are pretty good they do a good job handling their characters and there are some fun moments but i i just enjoyed a similar kind of comedy is some of the scenes that we get in the american set portion of family tree and i like that quite a bit more so this could grow into something, but based on the 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 pilot, I'm not really going to set time aside. I'm not a big fan of that type of humor, so that may be part of it. But yeah, I think there's um, I, I like the concept, but I just uh, in a in a summer where even the downtime has a bunch of TV I want to catch up with, then there's not time for me for almost royal. So that's my two cents on that show. It'll be starting up this week, and uh, if you guys decide to check it out, let me know what you think. Do you think you'll check it out, Sean? I'm always interested when it comes to, like, first-time things. So since it's the first comedy for BBC America, I'll stick around. Interesting. Well, let me know what you think next week when you check it out. Let's move on to our week in reality, which is So You Think You Can Dance. And uh, what did you think of this week's auditions? Did did Are you more invested than you were in last week's, or is it still <laughs> a bit of a puzzle to you? Uh, still a little bit of a puzzle. I imagine that'll be the case probably for a few more weeks until I get a better understanding. Uh, a couple of the auditioners I really, really enjoyed. Probably foremost, the guy who was doing, uh, what do they call it? The kind of like creepy animalistic guy who had really yeah. good music. Yeah. He, uh, he was very interesting. Yeah, I really appreciated his, I have him down here as Creature Guy and... <laughs> I think his name was Stanley. Sure, creature guy. He was really good, uh, and that was and it was again so so memorable and distinct and 
there's a lot of emotion there. So that that one really stood out for me. I really like the whacker guy. Yeah, and what he went to choreography and and made it through. And made it through, right? Okay, so that's good. Um, yeah, his was an interesting style. I was glad that you know as soon as like they really big up some of the the sob stories, like myself as a viewer, like that puts higher expectations on those people. Um, which made the fact that the the young woman who had lost her dad uh, that she was actually really really good. That was I was very happy about that. Sure, her I don't know what the technical term is jumps or leaps, but those were very very elegant. And so I was glad that she put in a very good audition. Yeah, I yeah that's another th for me. Whenever they start with a sob story, I remind myself this is very significant to this person, uh, even if. You know, even if for me this is, oh, it's time for a commercial break, I guess that means we're going to find out what the next sob story is going to be. It's becoming frustratingly familiar for So You Think You Can Dance. I don't remember that being this frequent of an occurrence on last season or the season before, uh, but it could be. I've just blocked it out. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I immediately just start disconnecting when they go into that stuff, and then fortunately they make sure that if they're going to dive that deep with somebody and really exploit their pain... They make sure the person can really dance. So the one that stood out for me with that, she, the woman, woman that you're, the girl you're referencing, was very good. But uh, the one that stood out for me was the ballerina who was up on on point, uh, and who had the brother who was the addict, and um, her routine was just gorgeous. And I really appreciate the way that her doing so much of it on point affected the, her lines. And when she went into that, uh, like plie or something, I, no, it's not a plie. When she was up on point and she bent down, uh, the the whole shape of her leg and the the muscles in her leg was completely different because she was on point. And so it was something that we don't really see very much. I also really like the funky ballerina. What did what did you think about the? It was, it was a lot of ballerina and a lot of ballroom this time. Yeah, that was uh, a good turn from last week's, which was much more contemporary. Uh, so that mixture was great. I'm glad that they, they highlight some of them in, in those kind of pockets of different ones. Yeah. I was glad to see Jenna back, who I know you don't know who that is, but she was on last season and she was really good and nobody voted for her. And I don't know why, because she was really good. Um, what, is, uh, what is an all-star? They they are the people that get brought in to partner with the the, the final batch of of uh, competitors so that way they get somebody who you know they, they get a partner who's definitely going to elevate them as opposed to you know they might have a partner earlier on who's struggling with the the genre they're given and so then it's hard for that person to like like if you're a guy who's doing ballroom uh and you and your partner are both unfamiliar with it um then if you're if your partner is terrible then that doesn't you know doesn't bode well for you either. So they have they bring in the all stars air quotes uh, to partner with their their final batch of contestants. Gotcha. Yeah. No, she was great. Yeah. And uh, I gotta mention uh, that little kid with Cyrus and Fiction <laughs> was so cute, and he did a good job. He was fine. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I'm glad that they do stuff like that just to mix it up a bit. Yeah, it was. It was just, it was like painfully adorable. It was. It was yeah. so good. <laughs> Any other thoughts on so you think you can dance? These are probably my, my least two favorite of the, the Justin Bieber group things. Oh, um, God. Yeah. Not a fan of that. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird inclusion, and uh, I guess we'll just have to wait until those ones get to perform. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the comedies this week, and we're going to kick things off with Adventure Time. Did you watch this week's Adventure Time? 
I did. You did. Now, how frequently have you? How much of this show have you seen? Not much. I'll I'll catch it sometimes when it's on at night. Uh, if I had to guess, maybe I've seen about a couple dozen episodes here and there. Okay. I watched Breezy, which was the episode from last week as well, because I wanted to catch up, and now I'm all I'm all caught up with this season. And I, I thought that one was actually really really great. I, I appreciated it quite a bit. But Food Chain, man, that was just. I loved this episode. It was so creative and fun. Well, we had the two birds rocking out to the Queen of the Night aria from uh, the Magic Flute. Of course, that was right in my wheelhouse. But uh, yeah, I really en- enjoyed this episode. Uh, what, what did you What did you think? Was it too crazy for you? Okay, do birds play football? Because <laughs> if they don't, I'm not interested. No, this was again like some of the Adventure Time that I've seen. Really strange, uh, and that that worked out rather well. I mean, you could see it coming from a mile away, how that whole uh, worm or caterpillar girlfriend wedding sequence was going to end up, which mm-hmm. is just darkly hilarious. So, yeah, I enjoyed this. I really like the art style, too, the way it shifted with the different perspectives. And, uh, oh, God, it was just so creepy. Giant uh, Big Bird Finn <laughs> with uh, just just rest in my mouth. Slobber, slobber. <laughs> oh. It was great. <laughs> I mean, this is one that I plan on catching up with completely over the course of this summer. And uh, because you've seen more of it, mm-hmm. and you've talked about how this is kind of a transcendent show in some ways. Um, I'm assuming that this isn't representative of that kind of Adventure Time. Yeah, it's a very different. It's it's completely standalone. It's just this is just a lark, and that is what some of Adventure Time is, where you get into um, the truly amazing moments and and this one was i really i thought was fantastic but uh when the way it handles uh the main character's character growth over the course of six seasons in a 10 minute long show is really tremendous and uh, it will just abandon that or not i shouldn't say abandon it will not explore that most of the time but then when it does pick up on it when it is not just another day for for Finn when something significant happens for him it feels incredibly heartfelt and uh it really feels very true to who he is and who, what his age is because it's easy to forget he starts with the show he's like 12 or 13 and he's the only human who's alive and um this season he's dealing with his father his uh, father's abandonment basically it's been that's been made more uh present in his mind and so the way that the show is handled that has been fantastic and the it's ability the show's ability to just take 10 minutes and tell a completely original creative story in that time is absolutely uh, amazing to me so that's why i always to get off to get on my soapbox once again <laughs> <laughs> now i'm looking forward to to seeing the rest of it cuz a few of the episodes that i have seen have been very good I imagine that what you're talking about, that growth between those characters, is something that I'll look forward to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I just don't want to overhype for anyone. But for me, I absolutely love the show. So I look forward to, to your thoughts. Uh, let's move on to Enlisted Army Men, which is the penultimate episode of the series. Uh, tear. My boy, a tear. Uh, what did you think of this week's episode? And are you excited for the finale? I thought that uh, kind of, I don't know if it was part of the tag last week, but the, the idea that that Randy might be interested in Perez was humorous, and it was, uh, I don't know if it was mixed. I guess I enjoyed seeing them expand upon it in this episode, obviously just to make him competitive with his brother, but also because they both have their own reasons for doing that, and the fact that 
it ended up subverting that and, and allowed them to both be allies so that they could all pass the ranger training. It was a really nice touch in a way that Enlisted does it very well. So I could see why a certain type of viewer would kind of be repelled by that cheesiness, but I totally bought into it because, you know, we spent 11 episodes prior to with these characters and... If you don't already love them, then you're probably not going to be by this one episode, but I'm, I'm on board with it. Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it as well. And there's an extra layer of, of fun to be had with the, that ranger training part of it. If you've seen the webisodes of the actors going through basic and having to run an obstacle course, uh, spoiler alert, two of the three brothers smoked it and nearly set a course record. And uh, the others did very well uh, as well, apparently. Uh, but it, that was fun to, to watch. You guys. That is probably still up at Fox.com. Um, if not, I'm sure you can find it online. But but that was a fun extra element. And I just appreciate the, uh, the handling of the situation because it isn't like a, a, competi- a competition between the two of them to win her affections because they, they know they can't do anything about it. <laughs> Which is great. I really appreciate that approach. Um, I also enjoyed the uh, the Derek portion of the show as well, and uh, you know, watching that that conflict, you know, come up with the, with the middle brother. I mean, that made sense, but I appreciated the the handling of it and the way that it turns. You know, doesn't become a stupid macho conversation, but instead they they take what is the setup for usually that kind of conflict and instead make it about a son missing his father. And so to have that episode be the one that airs on Father's Day was a nice little bit of symmetry that I appreciated. And I'm going to miss this show after the finale next week. I keep hearing great things about the finale. I I have it, but I have not watched it because I don't want to get too ahead. I want to be able to enjoy the live tweet with y'all. So hopefully I'll be able to live tweet the finale with everybody and, you know, have one last, uh, one last uh, go around with the show. But I'm going to miss it. Yeah. Yeah, I am as well. Now that we're officially bummed out, uh, let's <laughs> let's move on and talk about uh, the Louis finale, Pamela Part 2 and Pamela Part 3. I don't know what we're going to do for comedy after Louis's gone here. We're going to rethink about how we structure maybe our week in TV after this. But uh, what a season it's been for Louis. We'll hopefully be talking in depth about season for uh, uh, next week, uh, we'll do it doing a season spotlight. Still uh, trying to figure that out, but it was, I think, a very strong end to the season, a very personal end to the season. And um, there were parts of this that I connected with more than others, but for me, what it, it all comes really down to that the, that last scene, and I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. And again, highlighted the strengths of the show, but then also the strengths of of the actors and, uh, and Louie as a director and as a writer as well. The fact that he gives that wonderful closing moment to, to Pamela Adlin's character and, uh, not to himself, I thought was, was just lovely. Um, what did, what did you think of Pamela part two and Pamela part three? It was almost strange to have not a downer as the season finale. Um, Louie, I think at some point, maybe in its second season, identify itself to me as a series that was really good at doing melancholy and some take on pessimism, which worked, and it wasn't like, the world's terrible and blah, blah, blah. Like, it came off honest, as the series always has. And these kind of moments were fewer and far between. And to see such a season built around turmoil end in this way, I thought was a really nice denouement. And that relationship, I thought, was 
beautifully illustrated and like in in every way. So it was totally believable how all of that went down. The the problems that Louis has with how Pamela deals with feelings was very accurate or felt accurate, and it was also very touching. And like you said, that that last scene capped that all off perfectly. Yeah, her talking about her first kiss. Just... <laughs> Which was not a kiss, just her kicking the crap out of somebody. Yep. Well, you know, that that's Pamela for you, apparently. Yeah. And it, I thought it was really lovely. Uh, and just that whole that whole arc, which started so problematically in Pamela Part 1. Uh, I like that we, we start to get a repeat of that. And then he, Louis, you know, he, and, and he's, you know, she's saying, hey, it's not cool for you to, like, be blocking my exit. While his hand, I don't know if you noticed this, but his hand is on the lock to the to his apartment door while they're speaking. And then he pulls away and goes to, to sit down instead of being creepy, rapey dude, uh, which was really nice. I liked, I appreciated that shift. Uh, yeah. and, and then to, to instead of, you know, forcing his physicality, you know, on her and into her space and everything to, to instead retreat and, and just express himself honestly and say how he feels and to have that be, you know, counterpointed by, by Pamela part one, I thought was really effective. What do you think of the placement of Pamela part one and then in the woods and then Pamela part two and three? And, and, and we'll get into this some more next week, but yeah, I'm sure. But, um, I don't know if breaking them up added a whole bunch. I don't think, at the very least, in, in the woods, into the woods, didn't add more to the Pamela story. Like it didn't transfer anything there for me. So there weren't connections that I was making between that, at least consciously. Uh, uh, the only benefit I could see, I guess, would be taking some time away from that first and somewhat troubling episode. Yeah. And then coming back later and seeing that these two are still able to get along in their weird way. Yeah. I'll have to think about that more over the course of the week. Um, but but I did think that was that – because was that's the only time this season that he's done that. The rest have all been very much in order, especially the six-parter. It was all very much in order. So, uh, yeah, I'll, it's that's an interesting choice. As for the rest of these episodes, I mean, I really like – I really like how quickly – uh, they established the rapport between Pamela and his kids. Uh, I, I really appreciate, you know, what did you mean? I was like, okay, so we're not going to talk about the fact that your wife is black and your kids are really, really pale. <laughs> <laughs> Translucent. Yeah, that was great. Uh, other highlights for me, obviously, the, the shooting star sequence, but also Louie being so upset that she did not laugh at all during his set which is something I know that stand-up comics pay attention to. I also appreciated uh, her bonding with particularly uh, Todd Berry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was nice. a great great scene also in terms of the, the direction, the camera kind of just panning to the left slowly and revealing more characters. Yeah. And and to, to bring in Mark Maron for that, that scene that you think is going to take the episode in one direction, like maybe a plot-based direction, but instead just turns into an opportunity for Pamela to support him mm-hmm. and to show why those two are such a good pair. Uh, it's really, it's really nice. And it's such a contrast to his previous relationships that, that we've really seen to his, his struggling relationship with Janet and, uh, 
and then and then of course the the whole uh, see the whole the whole elevator sequence with Amia. Um, it's a very different relationship, and I like that Louis is a character that does have these very distinct relationships with different people. Yeah, and just using that to emphasize the the idea or the fact that he and everybody else pretty much is not special, and that's not what generates success. It's a matter of they're being lucky or, or working harder than other people, and we know Louis C.K. is a very hardworking individual, and so that, that also rang true. Yeah. Any final thoughts on the finale this week? Damn good. You know, I don't necessarily know if this season overall beat season three for me, which was pretty legendary, but the hiatus made me realize that I have to have this show in my life as often <laughs> as possible. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I would much rather that he take a year off and come back with a season like this one than constantly feel like he has to be churning out material. And, um, yeah, it was... It was it was a lovely season. We'll talk more about it next week. Uh, but for right now, what wins your week in comedy? That's what a redundant question. Once again, it's got to be Louie. And you know what's uh, for me? You know what's been a good. You know, we only talked about a few shows, but you know what's been a good week in comedy when the show I would rank last is enlisted, a show right. that I very much enjoy. So yeah. Yeah, it's a. It, these were th- three episodes or four episodes, depending on how you want to structure it, uh, that I really enjoyed and had a lot of fun with. So, I will miss Louis next yeah. week, but we still have one more enlisted. We still have more Adventure Time, so there and are so still you a think few you other can ones. Dance, 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 dance. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, now let's take a break and come back with uh, Sean's report card talking about ABC. This week we're continuing Sean's network report card, and we've done CBS, we've done Fox, now it's time for ABC. So before we get into the new shows, how are are the recurring or older shows on on ABC working for you? How invested are you in this network? Uh, Rest in peace, it's purgatory, that's unfortunate. I actually don't watch much of the more popular uh, dramas on here, I guess. So I, I catch up with Scandal as, as often as I can, but um, I've not seen very much Once Upon a Time or Nashville or Revenge, so I don't know if I need to, based on what I've seen so far. I actually watched the whole first season of Nashville, but, uh, you know, this probably is my least watched network after CBS. Yeah, I don't watch very much ABC. I used to watch Grey's Anatomy, I watched Grey's Anatomy for many, many years, uh, but I didn't even tune back in for for uh, Yang Yang's departure. Um, and I mean, Once Upon a Time, I'm not a fan of. Sorry, everyone. Uh, <laughs> so, so most of the you know most of the shows on ABC are actually ones that you know that I haven't really kept up. With. I guess the only one that I've kept up with has been Agents of Shield. All right. Yeah. Um, some of the comedies I still watch, so Modern Family I'm pretty up to date with, which has always been solid, but not necessarily amazing. So that's 
it's worthwhile time invested, I think. Well, let's get into the, the new shows on ABC. How There are a bunch of them. Yes, so ABC premiered 13 freshman shows in this season, and they are uh, Black Box, The Goldbergs, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which you've mentioned, Resurrection, Back in the Game, Betrayal, Killer Women, which nobody will remember, Lucky Seven, <laughs> which even fewer people, negative people, will remember Lucky Seven, uh, Mind Games, Mixology, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, Super Fun Night, and Trophy Wife. Of those 13, um, nine automatically get the withdrawal on the report card because they have been canceled. Uh, and so that's everything except Resurrection, Shield, Goldbergs, and Black Box. Uh, Black Box is still up in the air right now. Of the canceled ones, obviously Trophy Wife was one that I really, really enjoyed. Um, one of my favorite sitcoms of the season, uh, new or returning, doesn't matter. Like I thoroughly enjoyed that those set of episodes, and I'm glad that, uh, or I'm upset that that's not coming back. But that's all crappy scheduling stuff, which I don't understand completely because I'm not a network head. But oh well. Um, I also would have watched more episodes of. Uh, Mind games, and I know that the the showrunner Kyle Kyle Killen Kyle Killen, yeah, has not had particularly good luck. I've not seen Lone Star, but I watched a Seek It Out. Sorry, okay. Seek It Out. There's all of two episodes, but they're really good. Okay, yeah, because Awake was really good, and Mind Games, at the very least, had potential to go on to become something. Um, so that was a shame, you know. Like like Rake, I think that was one of the more underrated dramas this year for me. That got canceled, and. Uh, I also would have watched more episodes of Back in the Game. That that didn't even get to finish out its first season that got dropped at the Christmas break. So um, not necessarily an amazing sitcom, but one that was doing its thing okay enough. Also, uh, James can, so. Yeah, I can. I Sorry, I thought that was terrible. And I like all the people there, but I, I don't miss that one. I'm glad <laughs> you liked it more than I did, though, so. At least somebody I, did. <laughs> I'm in the, the minority there, yes. But uh, compared to at least to things like Super Fun Nights or, or Mixology. Yeah, Man, true. I watched every Mixology episode. Why did you do that? <laughs> and that did not get any better. Oh. In fact, it actually got worse, if you can believe that. Wow. I did not know <laughs> such a thing was possible. Okay, so there are four returning shows, or three returning shows. and Yes, and two of them were very bubble, but I think that... I'll probably give passing grades to all three and tune in next year. Um, yeah, I think the Goldbergs and Resurrection barely squeaked by. And S.H.I.E.L.D. wasn't necessarily great, but it made a big jump in the second half of the season. So I'm happy to to see if they can keep that going, especially now that Patton Oswalt is hopefully on there the whole time. Oh, I would love for Pat and Oswald to be on more on a more regular basis. If they, you know, that would be a very smart thing for them to do. That um, would be very, you know, somebody's going to snap him up and give him a good show, and the first person to do it right is going to be very glad they did. He's he's proven proved himself plenty of times, over and over again on TV as a as an excellent addition to a cast. Um, one need look no further than Justified, but. Uh, if if that is Agents of Shield, I'd be very happy. I wasn't actually anticipating that. So um, if if you know something, I don't know. I'm I know nothing. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. But may, may, you know, certainly they seem like they're more set in this new base, and he could easily, like you say, he could easily be a very present figure. I had that even hadn't even occurred to me. I would be super stoked if that were the case. 
Um, anyways, I agree. There was a significant uptick in in Agents of Shield toward the end of the season, and hopefully this will continue over the course of the next season. One of the things about Joss Whedon shows is they tend to not have the best first seasons, and uh, of course the exception to that is Firefly, which is an amazing first and only season but Buffy's first season and Angel's first season are far from their strongest and while obviously this is not really a Joss Whedon show because he is not in charge day to day he's involved but he's not in charge day to day uh, that I'm hoping that that same thing will be true of of S.H.I.E.L.D. so so when they get into the second season they'll have a stronger sense of the identity of the show of what works and what doesn't. And they'll be able to play to the strengths of all their characters and actors and really kind of get everything to gel together in a new and more interesting way. Yeah. They, they got a much better sense of all of that and characters like wards later in the season, which hey, is, is much better than uh, fumbling the entire season. And it was actually like very encouraging to see that happen on screen in such a short amount of time. Um, so, not the best new drama of the network season, but uh, one that I think people probably be comfortable sticking around with at least for a little while. Yeah, and then I haven't tuned back in with the Goldbergs or with um, Resurrection since I watched the first you know batch of episodes. So, Resurrection, I'm I'm more intrigued with than the Goldbergs. Goldbergs is not really my comedy taste, but. Um, I, I've heard a lot of praise for it from from people like yourself, so I, I might may have to tune back in in the fall to see if see if they can grab me with their second season premiere. But Resurrection, just with that central cast, I am such a fan of Kurtwood Smith and uh, Francis Fisher and several of the other leads in that show. So that might be one that I'm more more likely to tune back in on in with. Yeah, I, I probably the rest of the Goldberg season wouldn't win you over, and I doubt that. It, will go on to do that. It's kind of just an okay sitcom one that I'm fine spending more time with. The, the thing I'll say about Resurrection is that um, it seemed like 100%, if if not maybe just a little bit lower than that, of the of the initial response and criticism from the TV community was, you know, this isn't the returned, um, yada yada, and that's a comparison that has to be made, obviously, given the source material, but just over the course of its eight episodes, it was clearly not trying to be the return by the end of it either. So they were very much doing different things. And for that reason, uh, I didn't find it as stale as a lot of other people did. And it was a huge rating success, a surprising rating success, and dominated those Sunday nights when it first started airing. So uh, hopefully ABC has a, a blacklist level hit on their hands. That would be nice. Well, uh, that wraps up ABC. And uh, how would you rank the three networks so far that we've discussed? So far, Fox is definitely the winner. Uh, and then in terms of the new stuff, probably ABC and then CBS. Okay. And what, which one are we doing next week? Next week, I'll be talking about everybody's favorite network, the CW. Ooh, the CW. Good times. <laughs> well, let us know your thoughts, everyone, on uh, the CW's new shows and returning as well. But for now, we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama and genre.
drama and genre. We're going to preview a bunch of shows because it's that time of year where they're they're all starting. Uh, so we're going to take a look, quick look at Dominion, The Musketeers, The Last Ship, and Rectify. Then y'all made uh, Sean watch Love Hate. So he'll talk a little about season one. And then we'll get into the week in drama and genre, which is this week the Game of Thrones finale, The Children, Fargo, A Fox, A Rabbit, and A Cabbage, Penny Dreadful, What Death Can Join Together, Orphan Black, Things Which Have Never Yet Been Done, and of course the In the Flesh finale, episode six of season two. So first to kick things off, Sci-Fi Channel is starting up the new season of Defiance this Thursday, and with it they're pairing their new show Dominion, which is a continuation of the Legion film from about four years ago, four or five years ago, something like that. And this is set in a world 25 years past where that film ended. Um, the, for those who haven't seen Legion, I, I have not seen Legion. It is the story of, I think it's the, the Archangel Michael who comes down to help humanity. He sides with humanity when the Archangel Gabriel decides he wants to conquer it. This is after God has disappeared or died or, or something. So uh, Gabriel takes a swarm of lesser angels, lower angels, and uh, they possess a bunch of people and they're going to kill humanity. And that's that's the movie Legion. And this is sent 25 years after he doesn't succeed. Spoiler alert, there's a TV show about it. He doesn't succeed in killing all of humanity. And the, what I appreciate about this show, and I have a review of it up at, uh, or preview, I guess I should say, of it up at the AV Club. and you, So you can read my fuller thoughts there. What I appreciate about it is that after one episode, and I would have liked to have seen more than one episode because I'm really not sure how I feel with the show after just one. But, again, to keep equivocating, uh, what I like about this pilot is that it really sets up a potentially very interesting and developed world for the show. So we have a sense of the political structure, we have a sense of the of the religious world we have a sense of of larger cultures outside of our main setting of vega which is the city that has spawned that has sprouted up on the ruins of las vegas um there there are a lot of ways that this show could go if it wanted to explore socio-political issues if it wants to be a larger themed kind of show uh sci-fi wants dominion to be their new battle star it seems pretty clear this is their their show where they're trumpeting a return to sci-fi to the you know to excellent storytelling and and strong characters and and all of that um but the problem is that a lot of it is incredibly familiar people who have seen battlestar will recognize a number of uh, elements in in this show so if it can do something new and original with those elements that it will see from from Battlestar, from uh, from but, but not just that, but from many other shows and many other films, if it can make something new and original out of that, then this could be a really promising, really interesting show. If it just becomes a series of retreads of plot points and character beats we've already seen, then I will quickly forget about it and I will not you know keep tuning in. So that's that's why I wanted to see more than one. Because uh, in one in a in a premise pilot you're you're setting up the world, and then you don't really get a chance to see what the show will look like week to week. But that being said, I'm a little bit more promising. It's a little bit more promising than Defiance was for me, and I stuck around through like five or six of that one that in the first season, uh, because I really do like a lot of its central cast. Uh, Christopher Egan 
is the lead and people who watched Kings will remember him in a very similar role on that series. Kings is a retelling of uh, King David and uh, Saul from the Bible. So he was the David stand in there and he's a similar character here. He can be very good. He's good in the pilot uh, if they let him grow and you know if, if they take the character in interesting places I think he'll do well with it. Alan Dale is one of the patriarchs uh, leaders of the city and the other one is Anthony Stewart Head. Uh, people will recognize both of them. Uh, well, the, Anthony Stewart Head is Giles from Buffy and he's going to explode your brain with his American accent because it was super weird for me. Um, but Ellen Dale, people will know from Lost and many other projects as well. These three are very strong central figures. Tom Wisdom is promising certainly as the Archangel Michael and there's uh, there's a nice you know, there's several elements that I appreciate. They, they just kind of throw off the Legion stuff. So if you didn't see the movie like I didn't, they just kind of mention the sillier aspects of the movie that need to be mentioned, but they don't dwell. They don't try to explain. They just move on and trust that you'll keep up, which is great. Um, on the downside, oh, and there's some, some good action. There's a nice, there's a pretty sweet sword fight. Um, the effects that I saw the were not finished, so I can't really comment on that. But the downside, the big downside for me, besides the potential for it turning into a retread, is that none of the women are particularly well drawn out or interesting, or, or interestingly either performed or written. It's a real blind spot for the show right now, and hopefully it's one they will address quickly. The, all the, cent the, the central setting is very patriarchal in a way that I'm not sure the show realizes they've set, up, set it up to be. If they do and they address it, then great. If they don't, that's a problem. So we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> or I will have to. And if you're going to tune in to watch some Dominion, you'll have to let me know what you think. But I, you know, I think it could become something interesting or it could just be a lot of energy spent on a pilot that then fades away. That was uh, kind of my reaction to Defiance. That had kind of a flashy extended pilot and it didn't really amount to much. And, and like mm -hmm. you're saying this trying to be Battlestar, I felt like Defiance was really trying to be Firefly at some point. Yeah. But it's, it's easy to root for sci-fi shows, so I'm hoping that Dominion gets better. Yeah, me too. I, I would like it. To, I would like to have another sci-fi show that I that I cared about, even if it's one that doesn't actually have spaceships or aliens, as much as I would appreciate a spaceships and aliens show. Um, more, uh, le less, uh, less on the sci-fi uh, realm, though, you know, not more realistic, is BBC America's The Musketeers which is the Three Musketeers. Yay! Um, obviously, the, anybody who's familiar with the cast will go, hey, Peter Capaldi as Cardinal Richelieu. That's about as interesting as this gets. If you want a pretty straightforward adaptation of The Musketeers, watch The Musketeers. Uh, I was not interested. I, I, it lost me after about the first 10 minutes, and it doesn't do anything interesting or surprising for the rest of the, of the, the pilot. Um, people may want a swashbuckling kind of fencing and shooting muskets kind of thing, body stripping, all of that. But um, for me, I can watch that in other venues. I can, I can, you know, just kind of dust off my Spartacus DVDs and be just as happy. Are you interested at all in the Musketeer? I've seen the the whole first season actually. I I stay as up to date on British stuff as I can. So. Um couple of the things like my mad fat diary that haven't really made it over here or have gotten much buzz i i try to keep up with the first season of this uh, it's difficult because this uh, i'm probably lured into period settings 
more easily than I ought to be. And so with some things like that and rain, I give more leeway, but, uh, the acting here is fine. Some of the, the action and the swordplay is good, but a problem, a common problem with a lot of these is just that the story doesn't really come together. And I don't necessarily think that it did for this, but, uh, you know, there are probably plenty of people out there who really like this, if not for the source material, then for the period things that it does uh, fairly competently. Well, and that's how I feel like a lot of the the non-prestige, I guess, TV right now is. I feel like competent, interesting, if you're if you like this subgenre is kind of how I could describe a lot <laughs> of a lot of the, the shows that aren't Rectify starting either this week or, or recently. Yeah, and there's a time and a place for that. You know, I wouldn't want everything to try to be like Rectify because that's its thing, and there are only a couple shows that, that do that kind of thing. So TV is just a, an incredibly vast medium in terms of the experiences that you can have, and I really think that there are things out there to please everybody. So, again, some people will definitely love The Musketeers. If you like the idea of it, then you're probably already predisposed. So it is definitely kind of tune in, turn off, and have fun. And that also works for The Last Ship, which is uh, starting up this week as well. And that tells the story of a a, a ship that, um, in the U.S. Navy that is up in the Arctic um, assisting a disease, CDC kind of uh, person, played by Rona Mitra, to, in her attempt to get samples from the Arctic out of the ice. Um, and then when they go to return home after being shot out, by the Russians, uh, there's no home because there's been a massive global pandemic. And so then this it's this last group of this last ship title uh, of, of people who have to do what they can to to save humanity, find a cure. How will they hold up? You know, will will society break down? Will they get back to their families, et cetera, et cetera? There are a few cast members that TV fans will appreciate. First of all, the lead is Eric Dane, who people will know as McSteamy from Grey's Anatomy. Um, his, I, I think XO, I could be wrong on that, is played by Adam Baldwin. Of course, Jane from Firefly, and uh, he's been around forever. Then Rona Mitra, like I said, who people will know from Strike Back for many years, is the doctor uh, or the 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 specialist who is trying to find a cure. There are other recognizable faces as well. Um, this, again, it feels like a combination of maybe Last Resort and uh, and uh, Helix, and I'm not interested uh, really in, in either of those two things right now. It's, it's if, if that description sounds interesting or sounds fun to you, check it out. It's competently done, <laughs> but... Again, not nearly interesting enough for me to set time aside when I should be watching Orange is the New Black. Um, so, yeah, this this sort of disaster, uh, you know, apocalypse, post-apocalyptic or um, potential apocalyptic setting is one that I'm not not particularly interested in. And uh, yeah, I feel like I already have a sense of what the show's going to be in in ten episodes, and I'm not in, and I'm. It's not a show that I care to watch. I could easily be wrong, and if if people check it out and they you know they say it gets better, I will tune back in to the you know the last the last stretch of the show. Um, but it feels very again sort of like Dominion. It feels very familiar, but without the new 
you know, the new setting to, to add interest. No, it's going to be the next Rectify. Just get ready. <laughs> Just get ready, yeah. <laughs> well, that takes us to our our last uh, preview here, which is, is, of course, Rectify, which starts this Thursday on Sundance TV. I've seen the first three episodes of the season, and it's really good, guys. <laughs> <laughs> It'll surprise no one. It was one of my favorite shows of last year, and it's come back very confidently in season two. They pick up very closely after the events of the last season's finale that the again the 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 events of the finale very strongly structure the first few episodes of the season and uh there's again a very dreamlike quality to certain elements of the show the relationships and the characters are right back to to what we're familiar with i'm right back to hating freaking teddy what 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 say you about him <laughs> uh the best thing i could say about him is that he's annoying <laughs> and then it only gets worse from there depending on the moments that you draw on from the episodes yeah he's I, I he's a good character to hate i think so the actor does a great job yeah yeah i very effectively do not like him as as wonderfully portrayed and as realistic as that character is um and but yes the the world of the show it instantly feels like itself, and I I have no doubts that they will be able to fill this long longer season order. It's either ten or maybe even thirteen episodes this year, whereas it was six last year. And these first three are just beautiful. So I look forward to talking about them more in depth next week. But um, yeah, it's some absolutely beautiful uh, filmmaking, television making, whatever you want to call it. But everybody should be watching Rectify. But uh, but this week. I was watching Rectify and Dominion and all these other shows. You were watching uh, the Make Sean Watch pick, which this week was Love Hate. I've not seen Love Hate. Uh, what is this show about? This is uh, an Irish crime series that is still running. It has aired, I think, just four seasons so far. Um, it stars, oh God, I want to say his name is Robert Sheeran, who might as well be called not Ben Wishaw because he looks exactly like him. Um, and also uh, uh, Lord Baelish himself, Aidan Gillen. Yeah. And so uh, anybody who's seen The Wire will see some elements of that there. Um, but this obviously is a different country, different context. Uh, it, it helps that it's a place where you're not legally allowed to own guns, even with a permit. Um, but uh, yeah, more family-based crime series that uh, in the very first episode, in the very first 10 minutes, I think the the event that is the catalyst for the rest of the action, at least for the first season, happens. And then the rest of it is um, all of these characters interacting around that. And yeah, I, I had never even heard of it before. Um, I think Brian was the one that recommended this and it was ridiculously good. Like... I don't want to oversell it, and I think that he said that some of the later seasons are even better, but I basically had, I was catching up with this, and um, I had the option of watching more Louis or this, and I was like, oh, well, I'll put on the first episode of Love, Hate, and I'll, I'll get to Louis, because um, I was having, like, something to eat, so this was going to be, like, my, my veg out episode, and then, nope, I had to <laughs> plow through the first season completely, because of how, just how beautifully executed all of it was from the tension to the the family drama uh, it has one of the best soundtracks of anything that i've heard recently which is mostly hip-hop um, but that's the background that i come from in terms of music listening so that was a huge plus the acting is superb 
I wish that there were more crime series like this on our end of television. Like we just saw the premiere of Power, and it's not that that was like particularly bad, but this has a better sense of how to tell that kind of gangster story and make everything and not just like the the main action interesting. Okay. Well, and how many episodes is it again in this first season? Only four episodes, and then the rest of them are six episodes. So easy season. to catch up on. Yeah. Now, of the various Make Sean watches, how would you rank this one? Black Mirror or Love Hate? Oh, man. Black Mirror was such a different beast, but as a season of television, this absolutely Love Hate was probably superior. And I'm, I'll say that to answer that in a different way, I'm more interested to finish Love Hate in the next few weeks than I am to watch the other three episodes of Black Mirror. Oh, it's very interesting. Okay, well, I'm going to have to, you know, add this to the list of things that I should have seen but I haven't. <laughs> well, we probably should, uh, you know, get into our week in drama and genre because there were a few, a few things that happened this week, uh, including the Game of Thrones finale, <laughs> The Children. Of course, the Sound Outside Game of Thrones podcast should already be up in your feed. Um, I talked uh, there for, for a solid hour about this finale, but what did you think of, of The Children? Game of Thrones, in which nobody ever dies. <laughs> this, uh, there's plenty of stuff that we could talk about, but uh, like you said, the Game of Thrones podcast is already out there. I know that a lot of book readers were a bit miffed about a certain thing not appearing, and uh, just to comment on that, like, there's, I think that's reasonable to kind of be uh, disappointed by that, but at the same time, uh, I wouldn't agree with those people who are saying that it made this finale any less good despite that being like the obvious cliffhanger i thought that this was probably the best game of thrones finale that they've done so far a lot of conclusive feel to it and i know for people who haven't read the books it must be especially satisfying to see two characters like stannis and Jon snow who have been so far apart to finally have you know people coming together in some way and just to have that on the screen yeah i was very glad to see when it's when it became clear what the finale was going to have to be for this season, based on you know the pacing and the titles of the episodes, I was very glad to see that they were going to deviate from their standard approach in the finale. And I think I agree, this is the best uh, finale that they've done. Um, maybe season one, it's been a while. Um, season one finale four, season one might be more appropriate, but this really had a sense of conclusion while it also started new storylines and the, the, the way that they handled the various arcs, you know, pretty much came together uh, seamlessly as far as I was concerned. The, the th through line of children certainly helps. And um, yeah, I am one of those people who was, I was literally, I was live tweeting this with some of the AV club people and uh, we got to the end. I was like, okay, 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 yes, ship, pretty, whatever. Can we get to that thing that I want to be watching? And then I cut to credits, and I said, <laughs> okay, wait, post post credits? It could work for post credits. And then there wasn't one, and I was like, no. Yeah, it was a very dramatic moment. And it is difficult if you are a book reader to yeah. to not gauge it to or to not judge it on what it isn't. And that's not fair at all. That is not being a critic. That is being an annoying fanboy or girl. And nobody needs that uh, from their critical analysis. So I can't fault it for not including something that I wish it had included. Uh, because that's not... My job is not crit analyzing or criticizing or thinking critically about what maybe could have happened. It's about thinking 
you know, my job is to think about what actually did. And I agree that it was a very well done finale. And I look forward to <laughs> that, that scene being put into the next season, as I'm sure it will be. Now, as a book reader, I was not expecting a few of the things that happened, including a totally epic and amazing sword fight that we got this week. What was the highlight for you here? Um, that's definitely one of them. I guess it has to be, though. Like, watching this show, Charles Dance has been so, so good in his role as Tywin Lannister and really brought that character to life in such a way that like, he has been without a doubt and no disrespect to anybody else involved including Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage the best actor on this series and so it's a, it's a shame to see him go um, although that, that was obviously a, a big big highlight in terms of big character moment for Tyrion and seeing something of that magnitude which is usually reserved for the, the ninth episodes happen in, in this finale and that just feels really good. Yep, yep. Uh, there's a lot to like, and I'm sure we will have fun speculating over the course of the summer on Twitter and other places. But for now, let's let's move on, because this was not the only eventful thing to happen this week. We also got a fun new episode of Fargo, a fox, a rabbit, and a cabbage. And uh, how did this, this episode work for you, both as just another episode and, and as a lead-up to the finale next week? didn't really feel so much like a proper lead up which i don't think is a problem for me it still feels like there's plenty of story to tell here but then like i don't know if i've had a grasp on the pacing of fargo anyway so i could just be an idiot the the elevator scene was wonderful <laughs> as soon as as soon as Malvel asks is this how you want to do it or whatever is this what you want you, yeah you knew what was going to happen and it didn't make it any less uh effective i wouldn't say yeah. Oh man, the performance is so. I mean, the, just the the evil eye <laughs> that we get that glint uh, when he opens his eyes just a little. Billy Bob Thornton when he opens his eyes just a little bit too wide, and uh, oh god, of course, Lester, 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 <laughs> Lester. Oh. Uh, Key and Peele have been doing a really good job in their roles. So it's. I know we were all kind of like waiting around for them to show up since we heard that casting announcement before the season began. And they've, they've been a big part of my enjoyment of these last few episodes. I have seen the finale, which is airing this week. And um, it is very, it's well, of course, the whole season's been done very well. And it will be satisfying, I think, for a lot of people. I'm looking forward to watching it again and thinking about it. Because I was surprised by some things and not by others in a good way. And um, I'm not sure what they're saying with some of the decisions they make in the finale. So it's very thought-provoking um, for me because I like to overanalyze everything. So uh, that's, a, a, I would assume, annoyingly cryptic uh, way of saying that, that they deliver on the finale. People will be pleased, and um, I look forward to talking about it next week. Any other thoughts about Fargo? Uh, no, that's about it. I was talking to my parents who are also watching Fargo, and they were a bit surprised that because uh, they didn't know this was going to be a one-and-done series. And now that I think about that, like I, regardless of whatever happens next week, I wouldn't mind spending more time in this world with another subset of characters. So uh, at the same time that this has been very good and a great addition to the early half of this year, 
uh, it'll kind of be a shame that we won't be returning to it. Yeah, and uh, certain of the characters and performances have certainly grown on me over the course of the season. And like like you said, I've really enjoyed Key and Peele and this last batch of episodes. But more than anything, this is a, why, hello, Alison Tolman <laughs> this, uh, series for me. So I look for, like I said, I look forward to talking about the finale next week and getting into that then. But let's move on for now to Penny Dreadful, which is also approaching its finale. Only two more episodes after this week. We got uh, another very Eva Green friendly and also lots of Dorian Gray as well this week. What did you think of what death can join together? Uh, fairly uneventful for me. I don't. It was kind of just churning in a Penny Dreadful episode. There were a couple moments that worked fine. Um, I just thinking about it right now. I particularly remember uh, Ethan Chandler kind of getting into bed with uh, Brona and just kind of holding her, and that that was rather nice. But uh, there wasn't really anything that stood out up until that that last action sequence uh, on the ship. So it was fine. Penny Dreadful has kind of already established what it is, and that's a show that has some ambitions, which it occasionally does not reach, and is still, at the very least, entertaining. Um, they've, they've also turned around Caliban so that I, I don't really have any sympathy for him after uh, killing Van Helsing, so... Very interested to see where that story is going to end up. And that's the difference because I'm I'm not I don't care about Caliban um, at all, and and so again this has just been a very fractured show for me where the parts of the show I care about and the parts of the show that I don't are are distinct. And um, the, I Vanessa was part of the show I cared about until they kept pairing her with Dorian Gray, a part of the show I don't. And um, and so while you know she looks. Uh, Eva Green looks awesome this week in her really cool dress. And I I really liked the artistic sort of uh, take on the end of that sex scene that we get with her this week. I thought that was you know really beautifully shot and uh, and interesting. And I'm I think that's very promising for you know what's coming next. Uh, Vanessa just becoming increasingly one note for me because she's you know, Eve Green's only been given a certain number of things to do, and they've been very similar throughout the season. Uh, some may say that's consistency of character. For me, it's just getting tiresome. So um, I don't. Know, I know you're a big Eva Green uh, def- uh, fan, and, and I know you appreciate this character more than I do. What did, What did you think of, of her this week? Um, I guess, like I said with the beginning, I'd probably not argue that too much, just because this felt like not a very eventful episode, so most of the beats that we got were pretty similar to what we've seen in the past. The only thing that I would say would be that uh, some of the interactions between her and, and Malcolm were better this time around after the, um, the the Vanessa-centric episode last week. So, you know, for him to, to compliment her, her uh, outfit before she goes out and to there be, like, some amount of warmth there. It's just those... Those talks, I think, are a little bit better now that we have that information. There's still two episodes. Hopefully, it will all come together in a satisfying way in, in those last two episodes. But uh, for now, let's move on to a couple episodes I was more interested in, at least. And that's Orphan Black first and then in The Flash. So for Orph- Orphan Black, things which have never yet been done. This is the penultimate episode. We got a lot of uh, Donnie this week, and I kind of loved it. Have a shitty day. <laughs> He's he's a legend, yeah. He's really turned into a fantastic character in the space of a couple episodes. So 
that was easily the highlight of uh, the hour for me. And uh, to have that character come so full circle, it's for it doesn't solve the problem of his non character status for basically a season and a half on the show. He was a non-entity and uh, the show had not yet decided who he was, which a year and a half is a long time to not decide who one of your main secondary characters is. But you know what? They've they decided on something and went with it. And I have loved that direction the last two episodes. And I'm really, I'm glad that the actor whose name I don't have in front of me right now, I'm glad that he's gotten an opportunity to really grow with the character and show what he can do. Yeah, and it was just like a massive highlight among other highlights for me. So this is easily the, the best episode of the season because now everything has really come together in interesting ways and is pretty much firing on all cylinders. So some of the, the threads that I've been less interested in, uh, they created or generated some really great scenes around. So all the Helena stuff I thought was fascinating and, um, and even like the... Rachel material and to see her pretend to be Sarah and all of that like all of that is working right now I like yeah I really liked that scene last week of her freaking out internally as she's speaking with her father and I thought they paid it off really well here Uh, to have Delphine be involved and be culpable in that as as well was uh particularly effective and um yeah yeah it's uh it's 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 a harsh thing in this last episode i'm not really concerned for kira though i don't have any sense that she's actually in danger that the show's gonna go there with with her i don't really doubt that that sarah's gonna get her back in this finale is that are you are you are you feeling more suspense with that than i am uh no not at all i don't i don't see the show doing anything particularly risky with that it's it's more for just a plot device which is fine because that's been a lot of things for the past or since this began really um it, it more comes down to any of this the suspense has to do with i guess um dealing with rachel as the main antagonist right now how is she filling that role for you uh mildly better than she has been until this point um just because she's got a little bit more shading here and there. So I, I still think it's probably the weaker elements in Orphan Black, but there's enough interesting other characters to kind of make that go away from the, the conscious. I guess for me, the biggest thing about this episode, aside from everything with Donnie, which was fantastic, is that it really closed off a bunch of loose ends. And it sets the it, it allows them to have what I'm sure will be a very... Uh, action-packed and eventful finale. So we get uh, what appears to be the conclusion of everything with Vic and with uh, Angela. We get um, conclusion with Kira, and will will they or won't they do the bone marrow thing with Kira. We get um, forward motion with pretty much all of the characters. Uh, Delphine makes a choice. Rachel makes a choice. And that will allow us to hopefully you know, kind of tie up all these different elements of of season two and bring our main antagonist, which right now is Rachel and our main protagonist, which right now is uh, Sarah into conflict in that finale with Helena coming to, you know, cause, and also closing off all of the Helena stuff too, with her burning down the farm. Hopefully the kids 
weren't in that giant fire? <laughs> it's, that's something kind of morbid to think about if you do, yeah. Yeah, I was definitely thinking about that. When she looked back at the fire, I was like, I hope she woke up the children. Anyways, um, but to bring her back into the equation in that way uh, would, would will be will fun. And I did appreciate that the, is it Mark? The guy who likes who likes Gracie, I was expecting them to stretch that out longer, and I was was glad that that was an immediate. No, this is bullshit. I'm not gonna lock up this girl I like again. I like that they didn't stretch that out, and so to have <laughs> to have all of that tied up and to have Helena headed back to to where all the action is is a good thing, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, definitely. It comes down to like what you said, which is raising the stakes. So. Obviously, conflict is the, the key element to any story, and maybe that's an area that would really elevate this. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our last episode of our week in drama and genre, and that is uh, In the Flesh, which had its finale this week, and still, like, nobody's watching it. Kyle's watching it! <laughs> one of our listeners is watching it. <laughs> hey, all right. That's one more than nothing. Uh, but uh, it was, oh, man, this... I was watching it this week, and I wanted to immediately tweet out, but I knew a lot of people hadn't seen it yet, so I didn't. But Amy, oh, Amy. No, in a way that you didn't necessarily think it would hit that hard. Yeah, oh, right as her heart starts beating again, of course, because they're evil and manipulative and very good at their job type bastards. I, I'm kind of hesitant and mildly irritated that this is the series that it is because I know that that means that we can remove all of those feelings by simply bringing her back in some weird way and it seems like that's the direction that they're going and it's the logical one I guess and yet I'd rather them commit to something like that and just move on yeah I would agree, actually. I, I'm intrigued by the how it ends, and that was a good cliffhanger for them. Um, but I would rather Amy were just gone, and we have to process that and move on. And uh, the the turnaround of the parents does come very suddenly for me in this finale. I don't know how much I bought that, um, but I the sequence of of Kier fighting against the Blue Oblivion, um, the Jem finally opening up about what happened with Henry. I kept waiting for it to turn out that Henry was the first risen uh, when, in that sequence. I was like, that would be a, you know, a really fun surprise. But instead, you know, it's Amy like we had predicted. Uh, but, but yeah, having bringing Jem and uh, Kier closer together, do you know, is there going to be a season three? They've not officially announced it, so it's a waiting renewal. And... In all honesty, there's a lot of things going against it. There's a dip in numbers, which is not as significant in the UK as it is for American television. Um, but even if it does get picked up by the BBC, like they moved it from airing at 10 o'clock this year to you know 11, 11:15 after Graham Norton. So <laughs> that's on a Saturday night. If you get moved from 10 to 11, that's that doesn't bode well. Yeah. Well, the reason I ask is because. As much as I really appreciate the 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 decision Jem makes in this episode to choose her brother and his word over her boyfriend, her creepy, creepy boyfriend, uh, it, it feels very familiar to what we got with her at the end of last season, and then they undid it and redid it over the course of this season. So I guess if there is a season three, which I would very much enjoy, I, I'm assuming, I would like to see a season three of this show. 
I just wouldn't want a, a retread of that same arc for her. And um, yeah, otherwise, I, this was a very satisfying family. I really like how they leave things with Kier and Simon. That was very lovely. Um, and uh, yeah, and the whole of a wonderful show that more people should watch. And I'm very glad to have covered week to week on the Televerse. Poor Philip just sitting there with that oh, stuffed tiger. <laughs> I loved Amy's funeral, by the way. Oh, yeah. Every every little detail about it screamed her and was fantastic. It was beautiful. The headbands, they all had headbands, and mm -hmm. nobody was allowed to wear black, and oh, <laughs> it was really lovely. Yeah. Any final thoughts on In the Flesh? Uh, I also would be looking forward to a new season. Dominic Mitchell has gone to say that well, he has plans to do other stuff, so as long as they, they get to go ahead, then that'll be good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, new, new and different material. Oh, I should. We should mention. Uh, what did you think of uh, the resolution for uh, for our antagonist? Uh, the the violence of the sequence was definitely good and shocking and effective. The the resolution afterwards, though, kind of felt a little bit anticlimactic, where she kind of just dropped off the the edge of the episode. Which I don't know if that's them not wrapping it up particularly well or purposely leaving that open for the future. Okay. Yeah. I, I, the, her sort of rant that she goes on at the, at the hall, the town hall was effective for me. And the, the turnaround of the innkeeper was a bit, again, there was some character turnarounds that felt very convenient and finale ish. Um, but, but I did like, the the way that that character was handled in this this episode and over the course of the season too it felt um interesting it was interesting and uh very effective i guess i'll say so again like i said i've really enjoyed the season of in the flesh so what that brings us to the end of our week in drama and genre what wins the week for you just close between orphan black and in the flesh the bbc america shows i'd probably give the edge if i'm being honest to that orphan black which pretty much works on every level for me. Oh, not uh, Game of Thrones? Oh my god, we're not counting that. I mean, I, f I forgot to count that. Yeah, nope, sorry. But that's definitely <laughs> Game of Thrones. I was going to say, like, I'm not counting that, but that's because I have a whole other podcast to dedicated <sighs> to that one. I sometimes forget that. Yeah, no, that's the clear winner out of these, then. Okay, uh, for me, uh, the Donnie stuff really does make me want to, like, uh, give it to, make me want to give it to Orphan Black. I did really like Fargo, though. Um... Yeah, I'll go. I'll go. Orphan Black, and hopefully, I'll say the same thing next week when we get to uh, the Orphan Black finale. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, yeah, lots lots of TV to talk about next week. For now, though, a few show notes you can find a post up at soundonsite.org for this episode, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought about the week's TV. You can also like us on Facebook to follow the goings on at Sound Onsite TV. I've been posting less there. I'm going to try to get more active on Facebook again. But we did just have a listener post a fabulous. Uh, link a link to a video which was the game of thrones uh theme as played by some jazz musicians so it was like game of thrones via treme and it's awesome so you guys should all check that out so uh, we would love to get more feedback from you guys or more interaction at the facebook page that would certainly prompt me to post more stuff there as well but i will uh, i will try to get a little bit more active there as, again you can also subscribe in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed, and we would very much appreciate feedback there, either a rating or a review. It does help other people find the show, and it's it's been a while. It's been a while, so we would appreciate a, a rating or review there. You can also, of course, uh, email us, theteleverse at gmail.com, and we're both on Twitter. I am at theteleverse, and you are? 
at Sean Kolesi. And uh, and Sean, what is our question of the week? Uh, well, now that the World Cup is upon us, what are everybody's favorite sports to watch and to play? Ooh, well, I the only sport that I tend to watch is uh, football. Go Bears, the Bears. Uh, <laughs> I will I will watch baseball now and again, but I tend to not. It's just it takes a lot of time. That's my thing, and I have so little of it. Um, but to play, I mean, I I really like playing sports. I'm just terrible at them, but I have fun. <laughs> so you know, I Good. try. I get out there yeah. and I'm huffing and puffing on the field, or like being obnoxious trying to block. You know, <laughs> basketball. Uh, I'm just not very good at, at sports, but um, but they are they are a lot of fun. The last yeah. thing, uh, it's not a sport. But I, I did some I got I had a few dance classes before uh, my brother's wedding recently. That that that's like activity, right? That's physical activity. I don't know if that counts, but uh, I think that counts. Yeah. There we go. So I learned a nice foxtrot. So that that would, that would be my answer <laughs> for Perfect. that one. How about you? Uh, definitely basketball for watching, and it would probably be that for playing as well. But I'll I'll say something else like I don't know ultimate frisbee or something. Nice. That's fun. Good times. Yeah. Well, let us know your 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 answers to that one, because TV fans can enjoy sports. It is not mutually exclusive. Um, yes. <laughs> Don't watch too much TV, or you'll go crazy like us. Yep. Yeah. And heaven forbid, nobody wants that. Uh, no. Well, now we'll take a break and uh, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Whitney from My TV Sang to Me to talk Gilmore Girls. Hey, it's freezing. Oh, what do you need? Hot tea? Coffee? Lip gloss. Aha. I have vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, and toasted marshmallow. Anything in there not resembling a breakfast cereal? Yes. It has no smell, but it changes colors with your mood. God, RuPaul doesn't need this much makeup. Well, you're crabby. I'm sorry. I lost my Macy Gracie D and I need caffeine. Oh, I have your CD. Steve? Sorry. I will get you some coffee. What? It's not for me. It's for Rory. I swear. You're shameless. Look, Officer Krupke. She's right at that table, right over there. Right. Oh, he's got quite a pair, this guy. Thanks. Yeah, I've never been through it before. Oh, you have, too. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. You really like my table, don't you? I was just, uh... Getting to know my daughter. You're... Are you my new daddy? Wow. You do not look old enough to have a daughter. No, I mean... And, and you do not look like a daughter that's possibly very sweet of you thanks so daughter you know i am traveling with a friend she's 16 bye drive safe if you're
back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Sean Coletti. And this week at, at the DVD shelf, we are tapping in to another one of my WB favorites. Uh, and there's a handful of these. We've talked about Buffy. We've talked about Felicity. And now we're talking about Gilmore Girls. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And joining us from my TV Sanctimony is Whitney McIntosh. Whitney, welcome to the podcast. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me back. I'm very excited for this conversation. One of my all-time favorite shows. <laughs> well, there you go. What made you want to talk about Gilmore Girls? What makes it one of your all-time favorite shows? Well, I, be- I believe when it premiered, it was... You know, it was part of one of those WB kind of eras where everything that was premiering was very solid. Um, at mostly every show from that period is remembered, you know, in some way. It was the One Tree Hill era. It was the Everwood era. All of those family dramas that really brought the WB up a whole nother level before it ended up folding. And it was the show that I watched with my mom every week, you know, just making sure we were home Tuesdays at 8 always taping it if we couldn't be because of sports or whatever. And it was, I think it was the first show that I would, could not miss no matter what, you know, could not miss an episode, own all the DVD sets, have watched it 17 times now. And just very, very formative, very fun and, and smart show. We, along with a show like Felicity or a show like Buffy, it is so indicative to me of what the WB was. And obviously there's, there's some shows that I'm not so fond of and One Tree Hill is one of them. But, you know, there's they're not it's not like every single show they did fits into this. But it is so it is so indicative of that really smart, really uh, heartfelt and very female friendly, I guess, uh, kind of show that that no nobody else was doing. And really, very few people are doing now. And so it just holds this really fond place, place in my heart. This is a show that looks at the Bechdel test and just kind of laughs and. <laughs> It's wonderful for for me, even without all the other things to love about it that we'll get into and the things that maybe we don't, um, just just even that element of it is something that I really wish I had more of a dose of in my TV viewing. So it was, it was wonderful to go back and kind of catch up with the show a little bit. I think it was almost actually a pair, not a pair because they're very different shows, obviously, but it, it had some similar hallmarks of Charmed when Charmed was on at the same time in that, like you said, it kind of looks at the Bechdel test and just doesn't really care. Um, and it has no problem putting, you know, two or three ladies right front and center and making it about problems that they deal with and not really caring what else is going on. You know, it's it's this central group of characters, whoever they may be, and supporting the writing and supporting the storytelling. And, you know, whatever comes of it, comes of it. But there's it never seemed forced to me, or at least for the most part, later seasons, or we'll get to that. But it never seemed forced in the way that it told the story and the way that the network kind of impressed upon it what it wanted well uh sean what is your experience with gilmore girls were you watching this every week like we were uh i was not no this was before i got into television really and i think everybody who kind of has an obsession or or something similar has like those precursors so there were always like three tv shows i had seen before I really started to appreciate television as a medium, and uh, this was one of them. It wasn't live. Uh, One of my exes was really into it, and I kind of reluctantly sat down to watch some of the episodes, and then after about a week or two, it became, like, me trying to convince her to, like, binge another ten. So (laughs) this is one of the the first series that I had actually seen every single episode of before, you know, um, Mad Men kind of, like, really got me into the television stuff. What about the show caught you? What made you, you know, after that week of, you know, reluctance, what 
made you want to keep coming back? The ridiculously intelligent and clever and witty writing, I guess. I was uh, an English major in college, and so all of the literary references landed incredibly well. Um, the, the snappy dialogue was totally perfect because that's always been my easiest way to get into uh, an art form, I think. For, for music, it's always lyrics. For, for film and, and TV, it's almost always, at the beginning, uh, dialogue and that writing specifically. And so this had it in spades, which was just so much fun and hilarious and really beautiful. Well, and it's one of those things that you watch that pilot and immediately the show knows what it is. And I mean, it is a really strong pilot. I, I was surprised because I hadn't remembered when I went back to watch it. I hadn't remembered that the first scene is not actually Lorelai and Rory. It feels weird that it is Lorelai and, and, and Luke in, in Coffee and, and Stars Hollow more than it is that, that mother-daughter relationship because that is, for me, it's the generations of women. That's what makes the show and everything around it, the, uh, the, the rest of the town, the, you know, the various love interests that we will get into. Yes, those are all very significant to giving the show its tone and, and uh, following its journey over the years, but so much of this comes down to the, the dialogue, the writing by Amy Sherman Palladino and uh, the rest of the writers as well, and then that performance from Lauren Graham and then Alexis Bledel and Kelly Bishop, those that those generations of women, and that's, that's what really is Gilmore Girls for me. Yeah, Sean, I think you're actually very similar to my dad in the way he got into the show, and that's when I first started rewatching it because, you know, like I said, I had watched it first run, and then ABC Family started replaying episodes, I believe, when it was in the fifth season. Um, you know, those afternoon hours, like five to seven or four to seven or whatever it was, they would do two or three episodes back to back. And I would rewatch them just while I was doing homework. And my dad would come in the room and say, oh, this show's really smart. And then the next episode, oh, this show's really funny. And then, you know, one more would play. Oh, I really like Lauren Graham. And and did you say you own all of these DVDs at, at mom's house? And it would kind of, you know, you saw it happening and you're like, yeah, I've been trying to tell you, you know. Well, and that was, of course, this is an Amy Sherman Palladino thing. We, it's also very present in Bunheads, her, her other series that was unfortunately short-lived. But you fall into these characters' rhythms very quickly. It's it's a screwball comedy pace of dialogue and the, the, the rhythm to it the, of the spacing between the lines and, and the interactions is uh, it, you fall into it really quickly and it feels very comfortable at least if it doesn't, you're not going to like the show, maybe. But for me, it does. You instantly feel comfortable, and it instantly feels like this is what Gilmore Girls is. This is the rhythm and the feel of the show. And it's one I appreciate and wish more shows would try to emulate. I'm sure we'll get into it eventually, but just outside of that central uh, generational relationship aspect, all of the supporting cast here is fantastic. And even like some of the guest ones that they only got for like one season, there are a lot of comparisons I make between one of the other shows that I had kind of really gotten into before I started watching TV, and that was The O.C., and, and Adam Brody actually shows up in Gilmore Girls for a season. Um, it, they, they're both shows that are able to to surround its main cast with people who are just as interesting and funny, which is a huge plus for me with Gilmore Girls. Yeah, and I think if you look at some of the writers, obviously Amy Sherman Palladino and her husband Daniel wrote or co-wrote almost every single episode of the show. I would say probably 85% of them. But if you look at some of the writers that were fortunate enough to have the chance, especially in the earlier seasons, to work on this world building, what they've gone on to 
almost every show that they've then had a, been a part of or created has clear hallmarks of what Palladino does in her shows. Um, people like Genji Cohen, who have created Weeds and now Orange is the New Black, two very female-centric shows that are smart and funny. Um, Jane Espenson, who's done work for HBO and Once Upon a Time. You know, John Stevens, who then went on to executive produce Gossip Girl and The O.C. You know, so many people that you don't, if you look back now, it's very obvious where they got certain hallmarks and certain skills and, you know, their writer's room productivity and just where their minds are. I think it's it's very amazing to see the continuation of those thoughts into shows that we watch now and are popular now from the show that, you know, not always got its due and wasn't an award winning show, but was popular in a certain set of people. I think part of why I really enjoyed the show at the time, because, uh, of course, in 2000 when it premiered, I was in high school, uh, is that it was nice to have a show, a character on TV like Rory. There weren't very many, unless maybe I just wasn't watching the right shows, but there weren't very many characters like her on television. And as a super nerd who didn't go to parties and spent her weekends, you know, either watching movies or doing homework, there were elements to that character that I, I really, really appreciated. And and I guess this will start us into maybe the conversation of some of the things we're less certain about for the show, or at least I am. Watching the show, like catching back up with it for this for this segment. I, 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 you know, watched the pilot and then I dipped in a little later and then a little later and just kind of got like a little bit of a sense just dropping into each of the seasons uh, of the the overall progression. And I'm curious what you guys, how you guys feel about this, because I would have to rewatch a lot more of the show to be able to make a definitive statement. But in watching just a little bit, you know, from each season, kind of trying to get a sense of the progression, my experience with the show this time was there's was very much of watching a show that I, I liked. I enjoyed all of the ones that I, you know, that I watched, but sort of seeing Rory go from somebody that I liked to somebody that I, that I didn't, didn't really enjoy her or, or like, I didn't like the person she became as much at various points in the show. And I don't know if that's because I was skipping over the progression, wasn't rewatching all of the, the, the baby steps that took her to decisions like I'm going to have an affair with a married man. I'm going to drop out of school. I'm going to get right back in because my parents are rich, uh, et cetera. I, I, and that's part of the process of growing up. And it's, you know, people that you like at one part of your life, you don't necessarily have anything in common with later on, but I'm curious if you guys have any of that experience as well and what your thoughts are on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was, I wasn't watching it live, so I came and like, watched it all at once, and that was a part of the viewing process, was really growing to love Rory and then really growing to dislike her in many ways, talking about some of those supporting characters when she kind of screws over Jane Ritter's character, whose name I forget. Um, like She makes a bunch of bad decisions near the end, which is why I think that Logan is such an important presence in those later seasons. But I don't necessarily think that that was ever an issue with my enjoyment of the show. It kind of only made that experience more rich because then it, it showed a control over character arcs and how to do them in a way that I, I don't think was manipulative or reaching for um, kind of repulsive material just to have it. So it, it felt somewhat natural for her arc, and, and that's why I bought it. 
Yeah, I think just the age I am, I was always about four years behind where Rory was during the show. So, you know, her first year at Yale was just about my first year in high school. And it was, you know, but when I was in middle school, she was in high school. So it was a very, not aspirational, but it was kind of like, oh, that's what it's like. Because it was a realistic representation of the choices you make and the friends you have. And, you know, the kind of smaller problems that at that point in your life you think are huge. So I... I appreciated where they went with her character as far as the progressions and the baby steps that it took her to get there from the beginning of the show to the end. And I did think it stayed very honest. I thought that there was never anything that I thought was incredibly out of sorts for where she was as a character at certain points, maybe, you know, some small moments here or there, but they ended up bringing it back to a place that was true to where she was. So maybe it wasn't true to where she was in season two, but if it's a decision she made in season six, you could at least look back and say, well, I completely disagree. And I, I would hate to be friends with her right now, but she's a junior in college. You know, you have to remember, and it's kind of reasonable for her to be acting like this, no matter how far out of bounds she eventually went in certain areas of her life. Um, and at the same time, I, I had a similar progression from being in a very, very small town, similar to Stars Hollow, doing you know goofy festivals and terrible traditions and things like that, and then going to a college that was one in Connecticut um, and about the same size, if not the same prestige. So look, and then rewatching, you kind of see it. You can see where it went. You know, you can see, oh, coming from a small town, this is how you change when you go to college, and this is how. The, the things you aspire to be may not pan out and maybe they will and, and all that sort of thing. So I appreciated the honesty of it and I appreciated the character choices, even if I didn't always like them as, you know, a, a girl that I did really like in the earlier seasons. Well, and it, like, like we already said, it, it does feel very honest and, um, and that's, and, and it's actually rather bold to make the, that choice for your character to have your character make decisions that will not be popular and that just kind of are terrible that make her a bad person and have her make that character fallible a lot of shows wouldn't be willing to do that but um but this one does and it's you know with while it's not solely about rory the rory portion of the show it, I, it goes in interesting, interesting directions, and I appreciate the show stretching the bounds of of likability. It gives you, for me at least, it very much puts you in that position of Lorelai when Rory's making these decisions because it's it's like you if if they were your friend, you just stop hanging out with them, but but they're your family, and so you're kind of stuck with them, and you have to try to sit with them through these decisions and follow them, you know, hope they'll come back to the person that you know. Uh, after maybe taking a detour or something else. And obviously it's a TV show and all of that, but you know, after you've committed a certain number of, of episodes or seasons to a show, it, at least for me, it's rare for me to break up with a show. So to take, you know, to put the audience sort of in that perspective of here's a character that you, that is awesome, that you love, that's wonderful. And here's that character stumbling and will they get back to, you know, will they get back up on their feet? are you okay with them going in a direction other than you would have wanted for them? Exactly. And I think what you were saying as far as most shows wouldn't do that, the prime example of that is uh, where most people kind of got turned off by Rory was her stealing a yacht. Um, but I think most shows would not have their primary character go act like an entitled brat because they're upset and steal a boat. 
they would have a supporting character steal a boat and then the main character would have to deal with it. And I, I think really just pushing the boundaries of the way storytelling works and saying, no, no, she's a terrible person right now really worked in that moment for me. And maybe it didn't lead to great places, but I, I appreciated their willingness to kind of just push it and see how the audience reacted. The fact that you said, uh, then she steals a yacht. That just, <laughs> it just, it's high, it highlights where the show went, like where it starts and where it eventually at one point gets to and that progression um it's a it's a drastic one and and what i also find interesting is that while we see rory go on this huge journey regardless of whether i like where it ends up lorelei for the most part stays very very even keeled and um and i guess it just it makes sense because rory's becoming a person and she starts out as a person, obviously, but she is g deciding who she's going to be in her life, whereas Lorelai is pretty much set. And uh, I, I find I find the contrast between the storytelling for Rory and Lorelai very interesting, as well as the love interest that they both get, um, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, I know, Whitney, you're Team Logan. Uh, we were talking about that earlier a little bit. But, um, but yeah, the contrasting Lorelai's story, her progression with with Rory's is really interesting to me. And I would say that she, you're right, she's definitely more even-keeled, and that comes from being an adult, and yet she's not infallible in Gilmore Girls and does make a bunch of decisions that probably will split people based on you know their attitudes and opinions towards whether it's parenting or uh, love interests and how to, how to deal with that. But there were a couple of times throughout Gilmore Girls that the Sherman Palladino didn't make me dislike Lorelai as much as Rory, but um, she did get on my nerves a couple times. Yeah, I also think the progression of Rory's character is a real... They, they frame it in a way that it's about her growing up, but I also appreciate that it's about the way she her relationship with wealth evolves and her relationship with the upper class evolves over seven seasons. You know, she starts the show in a very, you know, fish-out-of-water way, getting into Chilton and being suddenly surrounded by these people who have yachts and have Mercedes and have these houses and nannies and, you know, maids and things like that and does, does not really fit in. And then as short as four seasons later is very comfortable around it and is able to navigate the life that that entails and the characters that they put her with and her friendships that she makes. And she still has moments where she isn't sure how to act and how to, you know, respond to behavior, but it's, she's a much more comfortable person in that world than, you know, again, a short time ago when she was a freshman in high school. And I thought that was an interesting way to frame it as well. And not just growing up, but growing into different spheres, growing back into what Lorelai shunned and growing back into things that her friends hated about her in freshman year. You know, Lane was saying, you're getting caught up with Chilton. And then in college, that was her whole life. I, I appreciate that angle of it as well, because that is something that happens, especially since her family is so multi-tiered and, and she kind of made a full circle. Um, she went full circle in regards to her thoughts about people with money, basically. And I think that's a great way to get into uh, some of the discussion of, of the love interest, because I do want to get into Dean, Jess, Logan, all of that. And I think the biggest issue I have with Logan. I, I want to like Logan as a character, at least the episodes that I watched of, of him recent, recently. 
Um, and Matt Zucri, anybody who's been listening to the Televerse for a while will know we I love him on The Good Wife. He's fin- fantastic, and it's uh, you know it certainly helps me like the character of Logan more now, already having an affinity for the actor. Um, but the privilege surrounding everything with Rory in the last several seasons of the show is really difficult for me to take. And so when we have that um, that mostly very lovely episode, but I'm a Gilmore, uh, which, which Whitney, you point out to me as a good indication of the positives of, of Logan as, as a love interest. And when we, when we have her reacting, not with, you guys are full of shit for treating me this way, but, but I'm good enough. I my parents are on the Mayflower prestige and privilege and come on. I, it's really hard for me to uh, root for the character at that point. And um, I wonder if, how uh, how much how different the show would be if they hadn't embraced that route of of wealth and privilege and surrounded Rory so fully in that world. See, I see the but I'm a Gilmore episode in exactly the moment you're talking about, not as her kind of being blinded by wealth, but her that her innocent nature basically still being there in some way and is not you know again why are you treating me like shit. But she's such a her point of view of the world is just always trying to figure out why, you know, she can always kind of handle the bluntness of it. I think, well, she clearly couldn't handle it later. But but in those first years with Logan or first year with Logan, she could still handle kind of the bullshit that came with him. But she always was looking for why she was always looking for why these people treated other people this way when it came to Marty, at, you know, being a bartender or anybody at a party or things like that and always trying to get deeper into yeah, that was her first response, basically. That was her first instinct of, but why would people act this way? And then later on, when she realized why people act this way and just kind of said the hell with it and embraced it, that's where things got crazy. But the, the But I'm a Gilmore episode really, it showed me that even though she was with Logan, she was still Rory Gilmore. And she was still trying to just figure out why things were going the way they were in her life. And I guess it just tells me that I like Lorelai a hell of a lot more than I like Rory, and that's okay. <laughs> Lorelai would not have cotton to that, shall we say. Oh, absolutely true. And I think that was shown in her um, Jason storyline where she just was not up for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not about that at all. <laughs> I think that the reason I'm so strongly on Team Logan is more has more to do with um, not how he's actively working with Rory. It has to do with he he's such a foreign entity to her at that point obviously because she's going up in Stars Hollow the whole time and hasn't been around somebody like that so she ended up like becoming somewhat of a blank slate so yeah that first season is very much the Rory Gilmore that we know interacting with this character she experiences all of this all of this privilege ingests it and then I don't necessarily think it's entirely Logan who pressures some of the changes that she goes into that's more like her natural and active decision so i i'm really hesitant to say anything bad about logan and i won't hear anything bad said about him on this podcast (laughs) you're gonna have some trouble then (laughs) i'm glad we're on the same page john because very few people are team logan the thing i liked most about him is that he did try he wasn't just a dick you know he when when Rory said you're acting like this, don't he really tried to turn things around and be a good guy. And he really did love her. And even though he came from a, a place of 
privilege and snarkiness and brattiness. He knew that at some point, and he tried very hard to be the person that deserved someone like Rory Gilmore, even as they both slowly sort of, you know, her halo rubbed off on him and he dirtied hers up a little bit. And it, it, they did switch places at some points, but I really appreciated him really trying to be nice to her friends and, and assimilate into her town and everything like that as well. When you have a character like that, there, you as a writer are already setting up really difficult obstacles in terms of getting your audience to relate first and foremost, and then also to, to sympathize with that person because it's from an intense, uh, sense of privilege and so I think on that basis and compared to other characters that I've seen in similar circumstances they did a wonderful job with making Logan not just a, a likable character because I think that even people who don't necessarily like him in terms of his place on the show he's, he's very personable and just kind of superficially fun and engaging but I think that they did a really good job of also making him more human more sympathetic than he would have been in other hands well and i guess that'll put me into the devil's advocate role here because i i'm after the the you know my most recent rewatch i am vaguely positive on logan but certainly not anywhere near as, as much as you guys are um so i'm gonna argue devil's advocate and say when, when you set up a relationship to have some conflict and some strife and it can be solved by the character just chartering a helicopter to show up and surprise his girlfriend. I'm sorry, I'm not going to relate to that. And it feels, at a certain point, like like a cheat. Let's We have problems, we have real issues we need to struggle with. Let's just throw money at it because our character gets to do that because uh, he's because he's rich. Or um, yeah, and again, and again, so much of Rory's progression in that season is because she's surrounded in by this world of privilege. So when she decides she's going to drop out of Yale. And then she decides she'll just, she'll just go back. She'll just get back in. And she does. It's it's ridiculous. That is not the world that everybody else has to live in. And because so much of Gilmore Girls is centered in a more, uh, what feels realistic for this particular world of, of Stars Hollow, and because you have um, a, a big portion of the show dealing with a small town where people don't have that much money, um, and and it's constantly then being contrasted to what's going on with Rory. I just immediately disengage. And every time it's like, oh, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm really trying with your, your friends and, and your, your hometown. And yes, you're right. He does try. And a lot of the other characters maybe wouldn't. But at a certain point, I just don't, I don't care. It's like it's such a struggle to, to try to identify with your, your very poor town. And, and oh, aren't they so quaint? And I don't know. I just... Yes, he's Logan is a better and more interesting character than many others that fit this type. This is not a a bass from Gossip Girls situation, but that doesn't mean that it's not uh, frustrating to watch this character that was so grounded uh, get swept up and go off with with the guy who sank a yacht in the Indian Ocean and then had his sister bribe a bunch of Indian officials to get him out of trouble. This is true. Although I do know people in the real world who have dropped out of college and then uh, money have gone back. So I think I have a little bit of, of comparison and it's interesting to frame it that way. And now I'm kind of comparing and I'm like, oh, yeah, they are a little bit of a Logan Huntsberger, aren't they? You know, <laughs> um, 
they are they, they that does happen and it is annoying <laughs> when that gets yeah. off but um yeah i mean we may not disagree on logan but i think everyone can agree he's better than jess i don't know where you guys yes are, but oh my god let's start on that a little bit here i just i can't with jess i can't do it <laughs> oh he's terrible sean tell me you're not pro jess i was predicting that if anybody's not team logan that they'd be team jess but I'd, i'm not a big fan of jess and what he does with rory but uh I figured just because Dean is so dull that that is like the next, uh, the next person that they gravitate to. Because when I was watching this, my ex was very Team Jess and I was very Team Logan, and that became a really big issue. Um, but I don't know. He's so the archetype, and every different stage of what you do with that archetype. Gilmore Girls does with Jess and so he's a very predictable character I think which isn't necessarily a bad thing and I think that the actor is fine at portraying that person but in terms of the story that they got out of him I, I don't necessarily think that those were that great well he's not a character he's a trope and and, and he so so he's a He's the rebel character who shows up from the big city, which is what Dean is in the pilot, by the way, because he's from Chicago. But anyways, uh, and 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 he he's rebellious and he doesn't you know he doesn't like authority. But hey, guess what? He's he has a sensitive soul and he reads poetry. So therefore, the fact that he's an asshole is okay. I just oh my gosh, I he doesn't respect you know other people it doesn't respect rory um and but then we're supposed to when, when he sh pops back up he's supposed to be all deep and profound and he's written this short book and you know learned all these life lessons and oh my god i have no t i have no time for jess i know that there are team jess people out there and there were a lot of them at the time because i remember uh, there being a lot of team jess people when this was originally airing but no not for me <laughs> And maybe his progression into that person who was so deep and wrote that book and had a book signing and all of that. Oh, God. Um, but all of that. Maybe that would have worked out better if he was a consistent character and didn't go off and do, you know, other shows and get written out and back in and written out and back in and have a backdoor pilot that didn't pan out. And, you know, I think they were very uneven with the character and their access with him and what they decided to have him or the length they had decided to have him on the show. Maybe that progression would have worked out nicely for, you know, probably not, but maybe it would have been nice to see how somebody like high school Jess becomes real world Jess, but we didn't get to see it. So then it was just a, a further trope of, Oh, that bad boy you were in love with for high school and, you know, have cheated on your boyfriend with is now a good guy. And it's just, Oh, that's supposed to teach you a lesson. And now it was just a lot. And it was never, deep and it was never nuanced it was just there well and i also felt like with dean they introduced uh an interesting character and then just kind of character assassinated him because they didn't know what to do with the actor they're like okay we've done the the, the nice boyfriend we're bored of that now so let's introduce jess and you know being around jess is going to make rory kind of insufferable and so then now let's see how we can get dean and and Rory back together. I really have, you know, for a show, and again, I'm being so negative, but I do really, really enjoy Gilmore Girls. I, it has a very fond place in my heart, but I kind of hate the way that they treat all, most of the relationships. How many of these relationships end up in love triangles that lead to fisticuffs? Three out of three, I think. And, and not just with, uh, not just with Rory either. No, yeah, I was thinking Lorelai as well. Yeah, too many, probably. 
and lean and lean too. Yeah, it's it's just recycling the same plot threads, and it's it, it, it's it gets frustrating. But I, I mean, how do you, what do you guys think about Dean? Do you feel like because because I feel like they just had him randomly get married, and so that he could have an affair, and so that it could, I've, I've I really did not appreciate the treatment of that character. Yeah. I thought it was very true of small towns. Um, I I think first loves are always going to be that boring, bland, you know athlete or smart guy who's just there because you're in high school and everything's all sweet and loving and then you kind of get stuck in a small town and where Rory got out I think they did a very good job of showing what it's like for somebody who just stays there um and becomes you know how Dean became a contractor and didn't continue his college and ended up getting married basically just to get married because that's what people did. I think that's so honest in, and again, comparing it to friends from home who do that, you know, who are, who didn't, weren't able to get out either because they didn't want to, or just circumstances and become a completely different person. Um, And I was not a fan of the affair storyline either, but I think it did give him at least some shading in that that's who he was. Now he wasn't the sweet guy from high school. He was willing to do things that were out of, sorts and you know insulting to the people in his life because that's how he had evolved as an adult whereas not everyone around him did that well and that's one of the first indications of money just solving Rory's problems as well because when you know there's that problem of with Dean and she realizes you know the position that she's put not just herself in but also Lindsay a trip to Europe you know solves solves that problem at least for the time being yeah, Sean, what are your thoughts about the... Uh... Sorry, yeah, I was just going to echo what you were saying, Whitney, that, uh, and this also comes down to the stri- trying to strike a balance between what is realistic and true to a character versus what works better for the television series. And in Dean's case, and in Jess's case, I think, when they're reintroduced, uh, for me, there were fewer reasons and even more so uh, fewer effective moments than there were with you know somebody like Christopher who pops up here and there and I thought that they did much better with him but they really struggled to generate more good story after initially introducing Dean and Jess and then bringing them back later I would agree that they do a better job with Christopher I think he's actually a really interesting character for the show and for the most part after a while it gets tired and when they, this is a show that just is all about the quickie marriages. They, they don't, people are saying forever in their vows. They don't really seem to have a comprehension of what that means because people get married quickly and impulsively, and at least it doesn't end up end up well most of the time on the show. But anyway, so that's beside the point. Um, when when they have him just pop up at the end of season six, for and Lorelai sleeps with him because she's fighting with Luke, and that just that very much felt like um, uh, Amy Sherman Palladino mic drop. <laughs> similar to Aaron Sorkin's when he left, uh, was uh, fired from West Wing, basically. And I don't know if that's the case, but that's what that felt like. You know, so aside from just some of the repetitiveness of how frequently that love triangle with, with Luke pops up, I, what I think really helps is that there is actually a lot of chemistry with those two actors, with with, uh, with Lauren Graham and David Sutcliffe. Yeah, I think I really like David Sutcliffe's performance on this show from the first time he pulls up in that damn Donna Reed um, on his motorcycle and you're kind of like, oh, who is this guy? And then Roy says, dad. Um, mm-hmm. And 
everything gets blown up. So I, I liked him from the beginning. I thought they deployed him very well when necessary. And a lot of people didn't like the Sherry Christopher storyline, but I liked it a lot because it's, again, similar to what Logan does, him trying and him attempting to be a good guy when he needs to be and learning from his mistakes. And I really thought that was a great relationship with all, you know, the three, the two women and himself. And even later on when he then gets back into money and his dad dies and things get more complicated, it was still very smartly written and very realistic to how someone might react to somebody that you had a child with at 16 and then didn't marry and then thought about marrying and then back and forth. Because again, that goes back to first loves where it was there and it was, you know, perfect in high school and, it can't be perfect now, but could it? And you don't know. And I thought that was smart writing in the later seasons until, again, that kind of ASP mic drop and just having them decide to then be all of a sudden into a committed relationship and married and then divorced. And then it was a mess. But before that, I appreciated what they did with him and was kind of sad to see where that spiraled into. And you want to see Rory's dad on this show and you want to see that character be somebody that you can get along with and that the characters can get along with and it's it's so integral and oftentimes I was surprised by how much without the without Amy Sherman Palladino actively trying that I was warming up to him in a way where I thought oh maybe maybe I want Luke and Lorelai to get together a little bit less now and I wanted Christopher to be there so like much more than with any of the love triangles with Rory, I think having Luke and Christopher in there at the various times where they were opposing forces really worked for me. Well, and I, I'm also one of the other wonders I have about the show, things that I ponder is I wonder what this show looks like if, uh, if Lauren Graham and Scott Patterson get along (laughs) and have a positive onset relationship. Uh, Cause I really have to wonder just, you know, if they would have, well, first of all, there's the whole stupid daughter thing. I mean, April is fine, but that was, yeah. But then also just because they want the actors couldn't stand each other by all accounts. And so that's part of why they broke them up and stuff. So they wouldn't have to, you know, because it was difficult on set. Uh, so I do wonder what the show is without all these other elements back behind the scenes affecting affecting things. Yeah, I agree with you that that daughter storyline was stupid. I appreciate that it introduced us to the lovely um, Vanessa Morano, who is now a great actress in her own right. But And you kind of gave her that first chance. I believe her only other acting credit before that was um, a guest star on Without a Trace. So I appreciate the show giving her that platform to show off her young talents. Other than that, that storyline was dumb, and I completely block it out of my mind whenever I think about the show. Um, but I agree with you, Kate, that... I mean, the, the dichotomy between Laura, or, um, Lauren Graham and Scott Patterson is famous at this point, and it went deep, and it was an angry relationship from everyone that's spoken about it. And I would definitely love to see what it would be like if they just decided to keep Lorelai and Luke together for years and years instead of the soap opera that it eventually turned into, basically due to the fact that they couldn't be in the same room with each other to film a scene. Yeah. Well, and how you handle that is part of, the wonderful uh, stew that is television, television, television production. When you have such so many moving parts, they're not always going to come into alignment. But uh, 
But yeah, because that Luke and Lorelai thing, because obviously when I was watching this show, I was just kind of new to the internet. I didn't know all this other stuff. Uh, so watching it now, it makes way more sense. But at the time, it was this this epic, tra you know, tragic and, and happy uh, will-they-won't-they they, that I, I did very much enjoy um, for at least the first five or six seasons. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's... You know, I think they, for the most part, did do a really good job with that relationship in the early years of while the actors were more able to stand each other. Uh, and, and that, I mean, we've already gone long, but th that takes me to the last thing I wanted to mention. And that is, yeah, Alexis Bledel is, is fantastic, but how amazing is Lauren Graham? That she had been sort of bouncing around. People knew she was good, but had been looking for the right project for her you know because she she pops up in, in different things like she was had a memorable guest spot on news radio and she had a few other things like that but Lorelai Gilmore is you know that's the Lauren Graham performance that will go you know in, on her tombstone and uh, it's just such a wonderful marriage of character and performance um, it just makes me happy every time I think every time I see a, a you know a clip or something it just it's such a perfect you know casting yeah, I think uh, the difference between Alexis Bledel and Lauren Graham is that Alexis Bledel is an okay actress and good writing or great writing makes her a good actress because she knows what to do with it. Lauren Graham is a very good actress in almost any other role and with good writing can then make it a great performance. So I think that was the difference. They were obviously both very good on the show, but in their ensuing roles, you know, Lauren Graham in a few movies as kind of the wife figure and now in Parenthood, and then Alexis Bledel in a few straight-to-DVD um, movies and then a guest spot on Mad Men, you can see the difference there in the ways their careers have gone and definitely trace that back to the way they were on the show because Lauren Graham was out of this world Every line out of her mouth was funny and real and emotional and hilarious. And Alexis Bledel was kind of just being good. I don't know what your thoughts about that are, Sean, or, or if you had one preference over another, but that that's where I am about those two. I could only echo what you said, that Lauren Graham, her energy is just really impossible to not recognize and feel for. And so just she's so utterly capable as an actress of making you feel so warm inside and then also get you to cry with her. And that's an extraordinary talent. Um, a quick shout out to, of course, the wonderful Melissa McCarthy, who, when she started to have uh, greater success recently uh, in the past, you know, several years, I was like, oh, it's Sookie. <laughs> Other people know that she's awesome. Yes. <laughs> if we're doing quick shout outs, I got to say MVP of the entire series for me is Paris Geller. Oh yes, Liza Wild, very good. Um, how about uh, how about Sean Gunn as Kirk? Very, very good. Of course, Todd Lowe was also very good and has had some great roles afterward. Being the straight man to Rory and Lane was always funny. Yannick Truesdale as Michelle. I forgot how much I had loved that character until I started rewatching episodes. He's oh. wonderful for the comedy. Absolutely. Yeah, Edward Herman just having his quiet magnificence every single episode, and then only you know, every maybe twice a season being able to be outroariously funny is a quiet MVP for me because he was just always, always there, always kind of that steady rock in the ocean of all the women around him in his life, just being a rich, rich grandpa, just doing his thing and having a grand old time doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and we've, I've already touched on it, but really, for, especially as I disengage more and more with Rory, 
the show became much more for me uh, about the the Lorelai and Emily relationship. So Kelly Bishop, and I was so glad to enjoy her on on uh, Bunheads as well. But especially in the later later seasons, this very much became the the, the mother daughter relationship. I was far more interested in was certainly Lorelai and Emily. Yeah, same. Absolutely. I think one of my favorite episodes was actually Help Wanted when they put Lorelai and Richard together alone for the first time. Um, and they go to Staples and it's wonderful and quotable and beautiful. But then I think from that mo- episode, they said, oh, what what's it going to be like when we finally put Lorelai and Emily together? And it was great for those last three seasons when they start being able to be mother and daughter kind of after the schism they briefly have, um, you know, in episode or season five or four, I believe. So uh, when they actually get going together and being able to banter in a happier way without that full underlying animosity, it's it's a great storyline. And I really appreciated what they did with Kelly Bishop at that point. Well, any other final thoughts on uh, on Gilmore Girls, uh, Sean? I it would just be to kind of try and convince people basically to go through my same arc and just sit down and watch the thing like i spent a lot of time looking at like stats and stuff i I read way too many like critics best of lists and rankings and specifically in like numerical order so i could recite to you like the 15 most most critically acclaimed shows of all time and gilmore girls is not on that list for critics and i would say without a doubt this is one of like the dozen best tv series i have ever seen and i would have been so surprise and would not have believed you if you would have told me that before watching the whole thing this is a really really good show that everybody should watch i agree sean that's where i am i've rewatched it now probably three or four times fully and uh, to watch it with somebody who's never seen it before is a great feeling and i cannot stress enough the importance of the show in the landscape of television just from how smart it was and how consistently funny it was and I'm genuinely surprised at the way it's held up, actually. I think the pop culture references were already dated when they were on the show. You know, there were already 70s, 80s, 90s references instead of making current things funny and trying to drop, you know, Britney Spears references all the time. So I think it holds up just about perfectly. Nothing's really changed. The relationships are still true, and the storylines still give me the same emotional punch that they did the first time. So anybody who hasn't seen, you know, an episode or the whole show yet get on that put it on your summer watch list you won't regret it and you'll re- it'll give you a whole new look at the tv landscape and and probably again put put the show in your top 10 if it's not already there already well and again if you know we talked not not that long ago i think it was last week or maybe the week before sean about um mom and how what you'd been enjoying about it and that uh, that generational aspect to a show like that there are very, very few shows concerned with mothers and daughters, and this is one of them. And it is, very, you know, again, with despite any of the issues that I have with it, despite uh, by the end of the show not even really liking one of the main characters, a character I used to love, it is still utterly distinct. It, it has its own voice. It has its own priorities, uh, and and they're. There are two, those are two things that I always appreciate in a show. And if you haven't taken the time to see Gilmore Girls, or if you've always sort of just written it off, even just because it has the word girls in the title, the way that I know some people do, um, it's it's incredibly smart. It, it Like you said, Whitney, it really stands up, it passes the test of time, and 
you might not like where everybody goes over the course of the whole series, but you you will be happy. You know, watch the pilot. If you, if you hate the tone, if the if the voice of the show and the, that quick patter kind of approach to the dialogue bothers you, don't watch anymore. But if you do appreciate that anywhere near as much as as we do, uh, just dive in. You will be very happy for the time you spend in Stars Hollow. I would maybe alter that just a little bit and say, unless you're turned off by it completely, then stay away. But if it's something that is difficult to adjust to and you don't necessarily hate it, give it those first few episodes to kind of get into it because then you get really used to it. Good. Excellent point. Excellent point. So, um, again, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Whitney, for coming on the podcast. Uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, thanks again for having me, guys. People can find me on Twitter at, at WhitneyM02 and on my blog at mytvsangtome.wordpress.com. Um, again, posting pretty consistently about music on TV. I'm in the process of the Orange is the New Black binge that everyone, I'm sure, is <laughs> last week. So, you know, hopefully we'll have stuff up about that soon and would love to have you as a reader. Um, thanks again for having me, guys. Oh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, thank you for prompting me to, to revisit the show a little bit, because it was a very uh, formative WB show for me. I should write something about about it, but I really do love and miss the WB and its aesthetic. Um, so yeah, thank you again, Whitney, for coming on. Everybody watch Gilmore Girls. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. <laughs>